there are a lot of missed points and misconceptions with Clostridium difficile, but probably towards the top of that list is that you can have an asymptomatic colonization just because you test positive for Clostridium difficile doesn't mean you have a C. diff infection. And so what are those rates? I mean, it's going to depend on the study, but there have been some hospital studies, according to the guidelines, where the asymptomatic colonization rate has been as high as 26%. And then when you look at elderly patients and long-term care facilities, maybe 5 to 7% of those patients have asymptomatic colonization, meaning if you just tested their stools, they'd be positive for C. diff, but they're not having diarrhea, abdominal pain, leukocytosis, all those things that we'll get into. And when you look at a meta-analysis that they reference in the guidelines, they say probably when you look at all these 19 studies, somewhere around 8.1% of patients or people that are in a hospital have colonization. And of course, I suspect the number, even within the same hospital, is going to vary quite a bit from year to year, but particularly also from hospitals in different regions. There's going to be different rates of colonization, and so some may be very high and some may be very low. Therefore, this gram-positive, spore-forming, and toxin-secreting anaerobic bacillus causes all kinds of problems like diarrhea, megacolon, severe ileus, pseudomembranes, a lot of sepsis, and yet for some people, it's just hanging out as an asymptomatic colonizer. And that's the challenge for clinicians as we need to decide who has an active infection that needs treatment and then what treatment to give based on the scenario, and those are some different scenarios, versus don't test and don't treat because this person does not have an infection, but they still could have Clostridium difficile as an asymptomatic colonizer. So let's step back and just review some of the basics about this leading cause of hospital-acquired infectious diarrhea, and I don't think it's ever going to go away in our career, so it's something that we face frequently. But we all know that the biggest risk factor seems to be antibiotics, and that's why there is a lot of importance behind antibiotic stewardship, and also realizing that you have to wash your hands with soap and water when you see these type of patients with Clostridium difficile because the alcohol-based gels do not eliminate the spores. These C. difficile spores are transmitted via the fecal-oral route, and they are hardy, man. They survive for long periods of time on surfaces, many surfaces in a hospital room. But I also want to emphasize that the risk factor for Clostridium difficile is not solely antibiotic. So there's chemotherapeutic agents that make you at risk. Older age puts you at risk. Just having inflammatory bowel disease or gastrointestinal surgery puts you at risk. And now, of course, most of us realize that there's this major concern with gastric acid suppression, particularly in regards to proton pump inhibitors that might increase the risk of developing Clostridium difficile infections or colonization. 
Therefore, there's clinical scenarios where if you don't risk something, you risk everything, right? So we're not going to stop chemotherapy. We're not going to stop using proton pump inhibitors in someone who has an active GI bleed or active gastric ulcer disease going on. At the same time, we don't want to over-risk by doing things that we shouldn't be doing, such as over-prescribing proton pump inhibitors, over-prescribing antibiotics that now increase the chance that we're going to see what can be a devastating and tragic and very life-threatening disease, which is Clostridium difficile. Now, one of the things that may not have been so obvious in my earlier numbers is that the asymptomatic carriers of Clostridium difficile are not only common, but they're often going to outnumber the number of CDI cases, Clostridium difficile infection cases, that you see in a hospital, meaning that you are going to have maybe 8% of your total hospitalized patients have asymptomatic carriership, but how many times on your service do you actually have a C. diff patient? Maybe once a week, once a month, whatever your number is, but at any one time, 8% of your patients are going to be asymptomatic carriers, roughly 8% based on different studies. All the more reason we want to make sure that we use good hygiene in a hospital. And that's not solely about hand washing because about one in 10 cases of Clostridium difficile infection occurs in a patient occupying a hospital room which had a prior occupant with a Clostridium difficile infection. But it gets a lot crazier than that. So I wanna read a sentence from the guidelines, the 2018 guidelines, in which it says, the individual risk of symptomatic Clostridium difficile infection was found to be higher in patients admitted to a room where a previous patient without Clostridium difficile was administered antibiotics, suggesting that there's induced shedding of C. diff from asymptomatic carriers. So you could have a patient on your service that you are using antibiotics correctly for, whatever they're there for. So maybe they're there for pneumonia or cellulitis or meningitis, or maybe use the antibiotics incorrectly and they shouldn't have had antibiotics. No matter what, if you use antibiotics on your patient, the next person to occupy that room is at higher risk for having C. diff. Why? Because there's a chance that person you gave antibiotics to was an asymptomatic carrier, they start shedding the C. diff, the next person to occupy that room has a chance of picking up that Clostridium difficile. Now here's a point that was not realized by me until recently, so it may be some news to you as well, which is basically that when you pick up Clostridium difficile, so you pick it up from the side of the bed, a table, a doorknob, stethoscope, whatever, those early days of picking up Clostridium difficile, you are at higher risk for developing an infection. So actually, the longer you have a colonization of C. diff, the less chance that you're going to progress to Clostridium difficile infection. So why is that? Well, the guidelines talk about this. And when I say the guidelines, I'm talking about the Infectious Disease Society of America 2018 guidelines. And it may come down to a few factors. So the longer you are colonized with C. diff, the more serum antibodies you raise 
against the C. diff toxins A and B. So that's one way you may be protected from getting C. diff as an asymptomatic carrier. And at the same time, in addition to building those antibodies against the toxins, individuals that are colonized by one strain of C. diff may be protected from getting another more virulent strain of C. diff. So there are more toxigenic or non-toxigenic strains of C. diff, and then there are very toxigenic strains. And that competition for nutrients and access to the mucosal surface is going on. So if you have a less toxic or even a non-toxic version of C. diff and you're an asymptomatic carrier, we don't want to wipe that out in asymptomatic carriers because they actually are probably protected from getting a more virulent strain. Now that's complicated and I suspect there are a lot of patients that are asymptomatic carriers of C. diff and then we give them a fluoroquinolone or whatever broad spectrum antibiotic and then we turn them into symptomatic carriers, meaning they actually get diarrhea and possibly a whole lot worse, such as toxic megacolon. This stuff is very complicated and there's no easy answers, but one thing I think that really complicates this that I have seen clinically that I don't think is talked about enough is that a lot of checkbox medicine, particularly order sets and order sets in my hospital system, but I think across most hospital systems at this point, when you admit a patient, there is an automatic check for laxatives. So in my hospital system, it's Senna, and you automatically get Senna unless someone unclicks that box. And I get the reasons it's there that there's a lot of constipation in hospitals because of opioids or being bed bound and other reasons. But I think what's happening is a lot of people are getting diarrhea because of these laxatives. And they happen to be on antibiotics because a lot of people in hospitals are on antibiotics. The patient gets worried because they don't normally have diarrhea. The nurse gets worried and then calls you and then you're worried because this patient has diarrhea and they're on antibiotics. So is it C. diff or not? So we're sending a lot of these tests, understandably from a good place because we don't want to miss Clostridium difficile and we feel that the longer it is there and a problem, we're going to be causing potential harms. But I know from clinical experience, multiple, multiple patients on my service over the last few years as this checkbox medicine has come in, I have held the Senna and then we get the C. diff back the next day, the confirmation testing, because it took them a while to have another stool or diarrheal event. And then their diarrhea clears up and then the C. diff is positive. And then you're in a dilemma of whether to treat or not. And I usually choose not to treat if all of a sudden they are no longer having abdominal pain, they are not having any diarrhea, and I have to feel that they are an asymptomatic carrier. I'm always a little bit nervous about that. And we have a discussion that, listen, if you start developing symptoms, fevers, unformed stools, abdominal pain, ileus, you know, we'll go down the list probably in a little bit about what those symptoms are, but... The point is, if you are totally asymptomatic now, and now we have a positive test, that becomes problematic, and we have to use our clinical judgment and clinical experience to make a decision, and that decision is not always easy. Now, a lot of hospitals around the country, including ours, will no longer run a C. diff test if the stool that is sent down is not diarrhea. 
meaning if it is a formed stool, the laboratory rejects it. If you still want it to be run for C. diff, the doctor or nurse practitioner or PA or whoever's taking care of the patient needs to call down and specifically request that the study still be run. But if you're going to do that, I think you should have a very good clinical reason in your mind why you're doing that. And you might, but you have to have a good one. That's why I think this is one of the most complicated topics that I deal with on a regular basis because while it's often said that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, we know that's not the case with C. diff infections. Those patients get very weak, very susceptible to falls and other infections and all kinds of problems. And likewise, at the same time, We know that using medications inappropriately, like antibiotics for an infection that doesn't exist, doesn't make you any stronger either. Therefore, we got to think about the reason we are sending the test in the first place. If the reason is that your patient ate four cans of alphabet soup and now they are having the biggest vowel movement ever, you don't want to send the test. If they have good reason to have Clostridium difficile infection, and are having true diarrhea, not just one loose stool that the patient's worried about or the nurse is worried about without a lot of other symptoms to go along with it, we may not want to be sending that test. All right, when we come back, we'll talk a lot more about C. diff, including which test to send, how to confirm it. We will talk about the new movie, Constipated. Oh, wait, no, that hasn't come out yet. So instead, we'll talk about the Constipated Composer, who had problems with his last movement. Oh wait, no, we're not talking about constipation. We're gonna be talking about Clostridium difficile infections, including diarrhea, and I will catch you on the next round.